ask you to be seated. In 2003, a new TV reality show was aired, and it ran for 13 seasons. Maybe you have watched What Not to Wear. I have watched one episode, and so please don't question my manliness. And so the storyline of this TV reality show is about a person being nominated by, by a friend or a coworker or even a relative uh, to be on this show. It's a person that has an unbecoming appearance. And so the, 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 the two stylists, the, the two fashion gurus on not what, uh, what not to wear Hopefully, I'll keep getting the title right. Uh, Stacy and Clinton, their job, along with their highly trained staff of cosmetologists, is to take that person and give them a transformation, making a whole new look. And part of the process of what not to wear is uh, Stacy and Clinton going to the home of this, this poor nominee and they go into their closet and they start going through their wardrobe, taking out outfits and saying, this is what not to wear. Can you imagine that? And so of course, most of the articles of clothing in the closet are taken out because this person has an unbecoming appearance. Well, Stacy and Clinton and the highly trained cosmetologists, they work, they do such a makeover. They, they make this person brand new, giving them a new look that really is consistent with their, their true self, their body type, their personality, you know, how they like to live their life. I mean, they are really given somewhat of a new lease on life, a new lifestyle, and all for a rock bottom price of $5,000. I mean, ladies, come on, what a bargain. I don't want to hear from any of you men. Well, un believe it or not, I, I, I find the storyline of what not to wear actually reflected in our passage today. Because the Apostle Paul, remember, uh, the previous section in verses 17 through 24 uses the metaphor of, of taking off and putting on clothing to describe this, this, this general principle of continual renewal where we, where we are to constantly take off the old self and put on the new. It's a daily process. We are new in Christ, but we so quickly turn and revert back to that old self way of living, like the unconverted Gentile, as Paul says there in the fourth chapter of Ephesians. And so think about it like this, that what Paul is saying in verses 25 through 32, our text today, think of it like Paul going through uh, our wardrobe, representing our lifestyle. And he identifies areas, uh, behaviors, aspects of our lifestyle where we're actually living like the old self, very uncharacteristically of a person with a new life in Christ, right? And he says, 
this is not what to wear. <laughs> and then he says, but this is what you are to wear. And so here's our theme today, that a new life means a new lifestyle. A new life in Christ means a new way of living where our lifestyle is consistent with the person that we have become because of being united to Christ. So we want to explore this thing. Now, this has already been pointed out to me. I've got six points on your sermon outline. This is, this is a transformation of preaching, isn't it? To have six points, twice the number I normally have. But actually, there are only five points because I have struck the fifth point on your sermon outline and combined it with the fourth one. I just didn't want you to get confused. So I'm still trying to trend more to that three-point sermon, so we'll do five today. Now turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll begin reading in just a moment at uh, verse 25. But before we do, I would like to lead us in prayer. Father in heaven, I do ask for you to work in and through us. As you work in me, the preacher, that I would be faithful, that I would be true to your word, that I would say nothing that isn't true truth, and then, Lord, that you would be with us all and so open our hearts that we would gladly receive your word. And we trust you, God, the Holy Spirit, to illuminate our hearts and minds to understand what you would have for us. And not only to understand it, but that you would empower us to live consistent with it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let... Each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupt corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. A new life means a lifestyle, one that is truthful. Verse 25. Falsehood in the, falsehoods in the church can do much, much damage. Broken relationships and discord and disunity. So Paul says, what not to wear? <laughs> How not to behave? Falsehoods. You know, lying is part of the old self, isn't it? 
And so in verse 25, the Apostle Paul begins by saying, therefore, in light of the general principle that he has just given in verses 17 through 24 about be, be continually renewed by putting off the old self and putting on the new in Christ Jesus, he now specifically begins to drill down to more practical aspects. Exactly what are we to put away and put on? What does this continual renewal actually look like? And he begins by saying, put off falsehood. In other words, don't lie. And a lie is just simply a perversion or distortion or deviation from the truth. The ninth commandment that Jerry read earlier, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor generally is a, is a prohibition against lying, against falsehoods. And the Ephesian believers, you know, have, they had put away falsehood, hadn't they? The, the lie of idolatry. They lived in a very pagan and idolatrous culture there in ancient Ephesus. And let us not forget, our culture is very similar in, in so many ways, maybe more high-tech, but certainly I would say we live in the lie of the idol here in our culture, in our time. And so Paul is saying here that as you continually live in what you have done in coming to Christ, putting off that falsehood of, 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 of idolatry, now keep on putting off falsehoods in your relationships with one another by not lying, not being deceitful, not defrauding others, not bearing false witness. And then he says, and put on truth with your neighbor. And I think the statement there, put on truth with your neighbor, is very important because the ninth commandment, we're, we're, we're told not to bear false witness against our neighbor. And I think in the ninth commandment in, in Exodus 20, Neighbor means anyone with whom we come in contact with. Could be a believer, or it could be an unbeliever, just anyone. But here, I believe Paul is specifically saying, put off falsehoods with, in your relationships with believers. Because look what he says later in verse 5. We are members one with another. I think he's talking about the church community here. And I think the rest of these these put away and put on statements that he makes here in, in our passage today is first and foremost directed to you and me as brothers and sisters in Christ in this church. We are to live like this with and before one another. Well, let me ask this question. All of us good people here at Covenant, do, do we need to put off falsehoods here at Covenant? You think we do? Well, just to show you that we do, and Please don't feel like I'm coming down hard on you. I'm coming down hard on us, okay? Let me ask you this way. Do we need to put off gossip? We may think that we don't have a problem with lying here at Covenant. But every time we gossip, we're lying. And... I chose gossip because I think it's a common struggle that most of us face, if not all of us face, where we are spreading a bad report, violating the ninth commandment. We're bearing false witness against 
not just a neighbor, but our brother or sister in Christ. In other words, character assassination. And so, gossip and all lying is not only wrong, because it it is it causes such strife and difficulty in a community like a church, but it's also intrinsically against the truth of God. And Paul is saying, put away this, this lying and all these falsehoods because it causes so much trouble, friction, and disunity and sadness in the church. But then Paul exhorts us to put on truth And you know the best way to deal with a lie is to speak truth. And that's what he says here. And when we speak truth, we edify others. We build up others. We build unity in the church. We promote love in the church. So put off falsehoods. Put off gossip. Put on speaking truth to build up the church. Listen to Zechariah 8, 16 through 17. It shows us that God hates the lie and loves the truth. Listen to this. These are the things that you shall do. Speak the truth to one another. Render in your gates judgments that are true and make peace. Do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. And love no false oath, for all these things I hate, declares the Lord. Brothers and sisters, Paul Paul is saying, put off the lie and love what God loves, truth. And speak it to one another and build one another up in love and unity. A new life in Christ means a new lifestyle of truthfulness. And then secondly, a new life... In Christ means a new lifestyle that is self-controlled. Verses 26 and 27. Paul tells us what not to wear. And he says, don't wear uncontrolled anger or don't, lo- don't wear losing your, your temper. I have a confession to make. Years ago, before I came uh, to be a pastor here at, at Covenant, when I was still an intern back in Knoxville, Tennessee, I took a group down to Jamaica for a mission trip. And we drove all the way from Knoxville down to Fort Lauderdale, flew to Jamaica, worked there a week, flew back to Fort Lauderdale, and drove all the way back to Knoxville, Tennessee. And I was absolutely spent. And one of the team members did something that just set me off. And I mean, I just lashed, I just lost it. Have you ever lost it? I lost it over the... the, the the littlest thing, and it really kind of poisoned <laughs> the rest of the trip. And I just felt, after the fact, I, I really had, I really felt bad about that. But it's so easy for us to lose our temper. I don't think Paul is talking about here the, the big occasions where we lose our temper, but just in the small course of life, fussing with our spouse and getting upset with somebody else and, you know, losing it. Oh my, losing it in line at the grocery store. Think of all the places where we lose it or losing it 
here with someone in our church family. Well, verse 26, the Apostle Paul says, be angry and do not sin. I guess he's commanding us to be angry. No, that, that, that's not what he's doing. He is, he is saying, though, that there is a place for anger, righteous anger, righteous indignation. And I think we probably, we probably need more righteous indignation in our day because all of the evil that is taking place in our world today. We should be indignant at abortion. We should be indignant at how the institution of marriage has, has all but, but been turned on its head in, in our culture. Jesus was indignant, wasn't he, in Mark chapter 11, when he went to the temple and saw the money changers and he cleansed the temple by turning over the tables of the money changers. Righteous anger. But the problem that Paul is, is noting here is when anger degenerates into an angry spirit, into hatred in our heart, resentment in our heart, malice in our heart, wrath in our heart, having an unforgiving spirit in our heart, all of that stuff is consistent with, with the old uh, self. And it's interesting that Jesus, in Matthew chapter 5, there in the, in the Beatitudes, he links the sixth commandment, thou shalt not murder, with murdering someone in our hearts by this uncontrolled wrath, anger. We lose it, and we want to strike out at that person who has so caused this anger. And <clears throat> it is as if we want to, we can be so angry that we want to execute wrath upon that person. One commentator describes that as cherishing wrath in our hearts. Think of that, cherishing wrath in our hearts and when we cherish wrath in our hearts when we have this uncontrolled anger when anger is sin as Paul says we give opportunity for the devil to do his work another commentator said that this this wrath in our heart is like an incubator for Satan to further deceive us Verse 27, give no opportunity to the devil. I think that's what the Apostle Paul means. Cherishing wrath in the heart kills relationships. It destroys unity in the church. And Paul's exhortation, verse 26, I think, comes alongside and, and helps us understand one way we can be self-controlled with regards to anger. He says, do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Now, so many people believe this means that if, if a husband and wife have an argument, they, they have a disagreement on something, that they, that they can't go to bed until they have resolved the disagreement. Now, that may be true, but that's not what the passage is, is saying here. It is not about resolving a disagreement. It really is about recognizing that, that, you, that, that in your heart... 
anger has degenerated into sin and you are cherishing wrath and that's what you need to deal with. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath towards another believer. Don't let it fester and, and brew and grow and thus give Satan opportunity to further deceive you. Don't let your heart become an incubator for wrath to increase even to the point that you want to kill that person that has caused the anger. So he says, this is not what you are to wear. Becoming sinful with your anger. But he says, this is what you are to wear. Be self-controlled by not cherishing wrath in your hearts. And if you do cherish wrath in your hearts, don't let the sun go down. Deal with it. Confess it. Go to that person. So that your heart doesn't become an incubator for Satan. And that wrath fester. A new life in Christ means a new life of self-control. And then a new life in Christ, thirdly, means a new life of benevolence. Look at verse, verse 28. Paul tells us what not to wear. Stealing. A former associate pastor here at Covenant really shared with me an interesting story. I don't know, maybe you have this in your yard. That you can have the city water company come and put one of those, I call it a spigot, but a water access point. Maybe that's the official um, West Little Rock terminology. Still a spigot to me. Out uh, there by the road so that you can use that to water your lawn and it kind of keeps down your, your water bill. Well... This associate pastor here did that, but his neighbor kept using his water. And I hope you haven't ever thought of doing that to your neighbor that has one of these uh, spigots there out by the road. And so the associate pastor here at Covenant, whose name will go unnamed, uh, would keep going to his neighbor and saying, hey, hey, hey man, uh, <laughs> this is my water. <laughs> I don't mind loaning you some, but, but, but this, is, this is not a, uh, you know, kind of like a, uh, a, a spring that you just have uh, full use of, the guy was stealing at the end of the day. And I just simply tell you that story of how easy it is to actually violate the Eighth Commandment and steal. Stealing, which I think greed and selfishness is all part and parcel of that, is so much of the old self, the old man uh, nature, isn't it? And so a thief takes from another. He's greedy. His, he is selfish. You know, we can be robbed of our things. We can be robbed of our money. We can be robbed of our ideas. And now, in our high-tech age, we can be robbed of our identity. And people can steal our identity. And they can steal our credit card numbers. And maybe you've opened your statement and you're going, what? What? Who bought this? I bought 10 things one week uh, with a credit card that I had. $100 a pop. 
and it was all fraud. Someone stole, and they actually stole from the credit card company because thankfully I didn't have to pay the thousand bucks. The credit card company did. You know, obviously, theft of money, of things, of ideas, intellectual theft, and identity and credit cards. I mean, that's, that's obvious, isn't it? But you know what really causes strife in a church is another type of stealing. And it's a type of stealing that maybe all of us here in this room have maybe done or at least been tempted to do or maybe are struggling with even now. I bet you're wanting to know what this type of stealing is, right? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you in your tithes and contributions? You see, we can look at a passage like this and say, I don't steal. And then we read Malachi chapter 3 and verse 8. And we go, oh my. I mean, stealing a piece of gum is one thing. But robbing God? By not giving back what is his due in tithes and offerings? Next Sunday after worship, our leadership will report about the downturn in giving that we're faced with here at Covenant. And I think there are many causes to this. But I think each of us need to reflect upon what Paul is saying here about stealing and ask the question, am I as bad as a robber that might vandalize a home I'm actually doing worse because I'm stealing from God by not giving faithfully, by not being a faithful steward as he has called me to be after all that he has done to, to bless me. I was very, very convicted in study this week as I reflected upon this, and it came to me how easy it is for us to be a thief while sitting in a pew when the offering plate comes by. Paul tells us to put stealing away and put on honest work that results in the ability. And this is what I love about this. I don't think the Apostle Paul is really saying, hey, listen, you, you need to get a job where you actually do manual labor. I think manual labor is great, but, but I think what he's saying here is that do honest work. Have integrity in, in whatever labor you're, you're doing and sh do it so that you can share with others. Give your tithe and offering so that you can share with others. I've been so encouraged here at Covenant to witness that, and, and I can give examples I, I want because I don't, I don't want to be specific because there have been people who have really had some significant financial needs here at Covenant. 
And when the call goes out to give, the money comes in. And I have been so blessed to see you, this congregation, step up to the plate. And out of your honest, hard labor, that wealth that you've earned, you've done so to share with others. And you see how stealing can cause disunity and strife and hardship on a church. But being benevolent, being a giver, sharing what has been given to you through hard work can be such a blessing. And that's what Paul is talking about here. Now, gracious speech. I've deleted the fifth point on the sermon outline, I told you, because I've combined it with gracious speech, because I think verses 29 and 30 go together here. So Paul tells us what not to wear, corrupting language. Uh, you know, th- th- these are words that, that are spoken with the intent to corrupt, uh, to defile, to tear down others in, in, in some way. And this is more than just simply profanity, though it certainly includes profanity, but complaining, gossip defending, blame shifting, criticizing, you know, all of that corrupting language, words that corrupt, it's part of the old self, clearly. And I want to suggest that verse 30 really gives the reason why Paul says, put away this this corrupting uh, language. And, And the reason is don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Now, I think not grieving the Holy Spirit applies to the other four put away, put on statements that Paul makes here. But I think it's, it's particularly focused on the words that, that we use. And simply let me say this, the words we use reveal the direction and condition of the heart. The words we use are like a little extension of the heart where, where we might understand the true condition of our heart. And Jesus said that the defilement that is in the heart is revealed in the words that we say. Matthew 15, 18 through 20. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from, a, from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. Remember James, in James 3, the tongue is a little, little part of the body, but it, can, it steers, like, like, steering, like the rudder steering a ship, like a small spark that might start a great forest fire, so a corrupt word can spread like wildfire in a church and bring about much, much destruction. Think about that. Putting away corrupting speech, Paul says, is absolutely necessary because you are sealed in Christ's redeeming work by the Spirit, because you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And I think corrupting speech indicates that our hearts have reverted back to that old self way. And it's like it would be like coming in here and desecrating this place of worship. It, it would be like taking the word of God and desecrating it and profaning it by spitting on it. See, when, when, when we, a believer who is filled with the Holy Spirit, who is a temple of the Holy Spirit, and his heart 
reverts back to that old self and he utters that corrupting word, he is actually desecrating the temple of the Holy Spirit. And in that way, the Apostle Paul says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't sadden the Holy Spirit. Don't, don't desecrate the temple of the Holy Spirit with this corrupting speech. And then he tells us what, what to wear. Put on words that come out of your mouth that are good for building up, that gives grace to those who hear. Look at Colossians 4 and verse 6. Let, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Each, yes, words are powerful and can tear down, but words that give grace build up. Words that give grace build up. How is this to be demonstrated at Covenant? Giving a word of encouragement for someone who has served faithfully. Giving a word of correction for someone who is wayward. Giving a word of hope for someone who is despairing. Giving a word of rebuke for someone who is in sin. Giving a word of peace for someone who is anxious. Giving a word of rest for someone whose soul is weary. Giving a word of truth for someone who is confused. The new life we have in Christ means a lifestyle of gracious speech to one another. And then lastly, forgiveness. A new life means a new lifestyle of forgiveness. Verses 31 through 32. We're told what not to wear. Verse 31. Six dispositions of the heart that are really evil, <laughs> that are terrible. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, and malice. And one whose heart is like that is incapable of, of forgiving. That's what Paul is saying here. It's the old self way of living, isn't it? So, so Apostle Paul says, that's not what to wear. Now, now, what should you wear? And the Apostle Paul says in verse 32, you are to wear in your heart the disposition of kindness, a desire to do good. You are to wear a disposition of being tender, a heart of compassion. And when that is the disposition of your heart, kindness and tenderness, then being forgiving just comes naturally almost. And that's what the Apostle Paul is showing us here. Putting off that unforgiving hard-heartedness and putting on kindness, tenderness that leads to forgiveness. And he gives us the reason and the reason that he gives is at the end of verse 32, because we've been forgiven by God through Christ. A new life means a new lifestyle of being forgiven. And so here are these five, five put away and put on statements that the Apostle Paul makes. And let me just bring this to a close by reminding us of something. The makeover that Stacy and Clinton did with those, those um, people who formerly were, had an unbecoming appearance but now, you know, look like a million bucks. 
was done at a price tag of $5,000. And I'm sure that all the money spent and all the time spent by, by Stacy and Clinton and their, their team of highly trained cosmetologists is really appreciated by that person now with a, with a new look and a new lifestyle. And I'm sure as they reflected on all that has been done, all the money, the cost of their new self, that it probably motivated them to really live more and more like they now have become, to really live uh, this, this new uh, lifestyle. So here's the question, what motivates us? The Apostle Paul has told us here that a new life in Christ means a new lifestyle consistent with Christ. So what motivates us? And I think one thing that motivates us is this. Think about it. This new life that we have, this new lifestyle that we're called to live, cost. The price tag associated with it. The forgiveness that we have by God through Christ cost. And what is the price tag? It's not, it's not five grand. It is the infinite value of Christ's life given for you and for me. And this infinite price that has been paid gives us a new life in Christ, transforms us and transforms us to live a transformed lifestyle that is consistent with the person who we have become in Christ Jesus. And here is my charge to us. Let us be motivated by the same thing that motivated these people that Stacy and Clinton transform. But what motivates us far surpasses that. What motivates us is all that Christ did and gave and paid that we might be new and transformed and be able to put off and put on a whole new lifestyle to live for his glory and to live so that the church is built up in love and unity. So you ask me, hey Tim, what do I need to do in order to further the unity of Covenant Presbyterian Church be truthful, be self-controlled, be benevolent, be gracious in your speech, and be forgiving. A new life means a new lifestyle, consistent with the new life that we have in Christ. Let us pray. Father in heaven, I ask that you would so work in us that we would see all that you have done in order that we would have a new life. That we would be able 
to understand the, the magnitude of the price that has been paid for our salvation. And that that might motivate us to, to pursue by faith this wonderful, new, edifying, life-giving lifestyle that you have granted to us. Give us grace to put off the old self. Give us grace to put on the new self. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.